All right. Well, we spent a good bit of time last week on Job and answered the part of the question that regarded Job, but I was reminded that we didn't quite get to all the question, and that is uh, the part about suffering. So since the question was, what kind of suffering should we get if we should walk in any suffering at all? So what we did is we divided the suffering up into four different categories. If you're up on Facebook, you saw the four different categories. If not, you'll see them as we get through them here in your in your outline. But Christians, in, in Romans chapter 5, verse 3, and not only that, but we also glory in tribulations, or some translations read sufferings, knowing that tribulation produces perseverance, and perseverance character, and character hope. Well, what Job went through was certainly a, what we would call tribulation, and certainly there was some suffering going on with him. And we, we talked about the causes for that, but the, there is certainly no, no uh, getting around the fact that what came upon Job's life did not come from God, but came from the enemy. Now, Christians will suffer, but what kind of suffer are we supposed to rejoice in? What kind of suffering are we supposed to be glad about? Uh, just because, just, just accepting any suffering as if it was from God is not necessarily good. Or that God, uh, or looking at it as something that God allowed. We've got to get a little more of a discerning on that. In 1 John chapter 4, verse 1, Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits whether they are of God, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. Now, if we are to test the spirits to see if they are from God, then anything that we say is coming from God, we should run it through a test to make sure that it is of God. Because if it's not of God, we don't want it. Whatever it is. Whether it be a, a spirit, whether it be a prophet, whether it be... Uh, a, a, a test or a trial or suffering we've got to find out is this from God or is it not in verse uh, 4 of that he says you are of God little children and have overcome them because he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world so anything that would come from the world we shouldn't accept because God has overcome the world if God's overcome the world then he overcame it we shouldn't be going through the stuff the world would throw but we're going to, we have to find out what is it that comes from God. What is it that is of God? So our goal is to learn what comes from God so we can submit to it and what comes from other sources so we can resist it. Because if we resist what is from God, that's not good. But if we submit to what is not from God, that's not good either. So the goal of the Word of God is to submit to God, resist the devil. That's the, that's the two things we want to get to. But we've got to know what is of God and what is of, of Satan. In Luke chapter 4, in verse 1, looking at the temptations of Jesus, Then Jesus, being filled with the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness, being tempted for forty days by the devil. In those days he ate nothing, and afterward, when they had ended, he was hungry. And the devil said to him, If you are the Son of God, command this stone to become bread. But Jesus answered him, saying, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word of God. Now these temptations, it says he was led into the, into the wilderness by the Spirit. He was led into the wilderness by the Spirit for the period of fasting. But at the end of that fasting is when the devil came. He wasn't led into the wilderness by the Spirit to be tempted for 40 days. He was led in for 40 days of fasting. And at the end of those 40 days, the devil came and tempted him. 
Now, would it have been good if Jesus would have submitted to what the devil was throwing at him? No, that wouldn't have been good, was it? His, it was for him to resist. It was important that he would resist. And so the first thing he said was about turning the, the rocks into bread, and he resisted that. Now look at this. And the devil said to him, All this authority I give you. I'm sorry, verse 5. Then the devil, taking him up on a high mountain, showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. And the devil said to him, All this authority I will give you and their glory, for this has been delivered to me, and I give it to whomever I wish. Now some people have gone on and they said this, that this is not really a temptation because the devil didn't have it. But who would know better whether the devil had it than Jesus? So the only way it can be a valid temptation is if it was true. So when he says this, we have to know, since Jesus kind of validates it, that all authority, that all the authority here, as he, I'll read his words, all this authority I will give you and their glory, for this has been delivered to me, and I give it to whomever I wish. Well, it's whomever he wishes, not whom God wishes. So it would seem, from the devil's standpoint and from Jesus' standpoint, that the enemy has certain jurisdiction here on the earth, at least when he did when Jesus was, was there, and he could do with it as he wanted, which, of course, that would overlap the time of Job. Therefore, if you will worship before me, all will be yours. And Jesus answered and said to him, Get behind me, Satan, for it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only you shall serve. Now, he could have looked at this as this is an opportunity to receive something that, that God sent me down here to get. Remember, Jesus was sent here to get that. And he does get it. But he didn't have it at this point. Psalm 115, verse 16. There's more in the temptations. We just wanted to get to, to those two. Psalms 115, verse 16 says, The heaven, even the heavens, are the Lord's, but the earth He has given to the children of men. So it seemed that there's two jurisdictions going on here. And Satan has authority over that earth, over that. Paul even called him the God of this age. Called him the God of this age. In Luke chapter 10, in verse 1, after these things, the Lord appointed 70 others also. Now, after these things, in chapter 9, we'll get to this, but I wanted to, to read chapter 10 first. In chapter 9, he gave authority to the 12. So after that, and after the 12 had gone out, he then pulled 70 other people that followed him and sent them two by two before his face into every city and into every, every city and place where he himself was about to go. Then he said to them, The harvest truly is great, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into the, his harvest. Go your way. Behold, I send you out as lambs among wolves. Now, I'm not going to read this whole passage. I just want to... Uh, there's a lot of instructions that he gave them. I just want to specifically look at the instructions he gave them on the authority. Verse 2 again. Then he said to them, The harvest truly is great, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his, his harvest. Go your way. Behold, I send you out as lambs among wolves. In verse uh, 9, this is one of the things he told them to do. And heal the sick there 
and say to them, the kingdom of God has come near to you. Now he gave him no other qualifications about the sick other than if they were sick there, heal them. That was all he said to them. Now he continues to go on down. We're going to skip on down to verse 17. Then the 70 returned with joy saying, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. And he said to them, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Behold, I give you authority to trample on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy. And nothing shall by any means hurt you. Nevertheless, do not rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you, but rather rejoice because your names are written in heaven. Verse 19 again. Behold, I give you the authority to trample on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy. Now, the King James, the New King James Version is fairly good at this. King James, not so much, but the New King James is very good at this and some other translations as well. That when the Greek word for authority, power in authority, is used, it uses our word authority. And when the word for power, as far as might is concerned, strength or ability, it uses the word power. So we can usually tell pretty well from the New King James which one it it is. And so here you see both are being used. Behold, I give you authority to trample on serpents and scorpions and over all the power, all the ability, all the strength of the enemy. And nothing shall by any means hurt you. That would seem to indicate that the power of the enemy would try and hurt you. Wouldn't it? And if the power of the enemy would try and hurt you, that would involve some suffering. That would involve some tribulation. But he says, I've given you power and authority in this area. And actually, um, let's go over to verse 1 of chapter 9. Then he called his 12 disciples together and gave them power, dunamis, and authority, exousia, over all demons and to cure diseases. Two specific things. He gave them power, that is might and ability, and authority over all demons and to cure diseases. So there are two things specifically that is mentioned here when he sent them out. One is over demons and the second is over diseases. These are the things that they had authority over. That they were to to work in. So we have the 12 that went out in chapter 9. We have the 70 that went out in chapter 10. 70 plus 12, that's 82 people that he's commissioned to go out in his name. Then, of course, Jesus is going out in his name, so that makes makes how many? 83 people so far that we know of. Now, there's also a verse in the Word of God in the New Testament that the disciples said, hey, we saw some people uh, casting out demons in your name, and we, we forbid them. <laughs> and he said, no, 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 don't do that. So apparently there were some other people beside the 70 and the 12 who were going out and doing that. In the name of Jesus. And Jesus said, no, don't stop them. If they're, if they're not against us, they're for us. Now, all these verses tell us that Satan is under our feet. And that's another verse of scripture that he's described as, as being under our feet. If God put us, why, why would God put us under him, meaning Satan or his kingdom, to suffer since his plan involved making us over the enemy? If everything that Jesus did with those that were his followers and those that he commissioned was to have authority over the enemy and that nothing that the enemy would do would hurt them, how is it that God would then at times have us suffer at the hands of the enemy for any kind of purpose? That would be 
That would seem to be wrong. In James chapter 4, verse 7, Therefore submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. The purpose of this verse here in James is to get the enemy to flee from you, not to get him to come over and accomplish some purpose that God has. There is no scripture that I can find in the Word of God. There is no example that I can find in the Word of God where Satan is used to develop a Christian. Satan does not want to develop Christians. He wants to eliminate them. He wants to kill them. That's his goal. God does not need to use him for this purpose. Now, we have been called to be over Satan. Jesus, God the Father, they're over us. We are to submit to God and resist the devil, the one that's supposed to be under us. But we cannot be over what we have submitted ourselves to. If I submit myself to the devil, his kingdom, his ways, I cannot then also have authority. Does that make sense to you? If I'm supposed to resist him. I need to submit to God. If I don't submit to God, then how am I going to have the power of God work through me? If I submit to Satan, I would be found to be resisting God. And that's not what we want to do. So how can we be expected to take suffering from one whom we are told to resist? Are we resisting or are we receiving? Am I supposed to resist what comes from Satan or am I supposed to receive? Now the Word of God is very clear that Christians will suffer. I don't want to leave you to, to think that you know we're not going to come to that conclusion. That is the conclusion I have always come to. Christians will suffer. But we need to find out what, we're, what kind of suffering we're supposed to be doing. Because there are Christians who suffer the way that they think they ought to suffer. Then that's not necessarily what the Word of God has said. But because I think it, I receive that suffering. So whatever it is that I believe, I need to make sure I get it from the Word of God. And not from just traditions, just from things people have taught me, just from things that I've, I've thought. Because not everything I think about the Word of God is true. There are some things I think about the Word of God that are wrong. And they're not, they're not right. And so we go to church. We let the Spirit of God minister to us. We study the Word. We do all these things for the purpose of having what is incorrect in us be exposed. So we can take care of it. We can deal with it. Now, if Satan doesn't flee, as the Word of God said in James, if he doesn't flee from us, it would seem to be on our end instead of a purpose from God. If the devil does not flee from us, it would seem from this verse, therefore submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Now tie that in with all the things that Jesus did with those he commissioned to go out. It would seem that if they are, uh, if the devil is not resisting his kingdom, if, uh, if, if he is not fleeing, excuse me, if he is not fleeing from us, that somehow either we have not submitted or we are not resisting. The problem is not with God. The one time we saw in Mark chapter 9 when the disciples couldn't deal with a demon spirit that had come in. And uh, Jesus wasn't too pleased with that when he came down. Calls them, oh, faithless generation. <laughs> he, was, he had expected them to be out there doing this. Apparently, there was something wrong either in the submission part or something wrong in the resisting part that this had gone on. 
So when you yield to God, you take on His attributes through the Holy Spirit. Isn't that what we're supposed to be, supposed to be doing? That our communion with the Holy Spirit, we take on the attributes of God? And in several, several places of the Word of God, it lists some of these attributes. Galatians is very good at listing what the fruit of the Spirit is. That if we are partakers of the Spirit, that these are the fruits. These are the things that we will see. Of course, the fruit of the Spirit is love, but then all these other attributes come out from that as well. So when we yield to God, we take on His attributes through the Holy Spirit. When you yield to the enemy, you take on the attributes of that Spirit. Example would be like an unclean spirit or a mute spirit or a spirit of, an, <clears throat> of infirmity. Let's take a look at some of these examples. In Luke chapter 11, verse 14. And he was casting out a demon and it was mute. Now, what does it mean when it says it was mute? Now, understand this about the Greek. The Greek language is very clear whether it is masculine, whether it is feminine, or whether it is neuter. And if you see the word it, it is because the word is neither masculine nor feminine. If you were going to refer to, let's re- read this again, and he was casting out a demon and it was mute, so it was when a demon had gone out that the mute spoke and the multitudes marveled. But some of them said he cast out demons by Beelzebub, the ruler of the demons. When you were referring to a young man or, or a, 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 any kind of man, you would use a masculine. If you were referring to a woman, you would refer or, or use the, the feminine. But neither one is here, so the it is what? The it is the spirit. And as he was casting out a demon, and it was mute. So it was when a demon had gone out that the mute spoke. Now understand what this is. You have a mute spirit. And this is not the only place in scriptures that we see a mute spirit. The, the characteristics, the attributes of the spirit was to be mute. And so when that spirit settled in upon someone, that person became mute or couldn't talk. So when Jesus cast out that mute spirit, then the attributes of that spirit departed. So the muteness that had once been upon this one left because the association between the spirit was, was gone. That's why the enemy likes to get the association we have with the Holy Spirit off. Get you associated with some other kind of spirit. And the Word of God says, no, test the spirits. Because you've got to make sure that association stays right. If you stay associated with the Spirit of God, you will take on the attributes of God. I didn't say you'd become God. I said you would take on the attributes of God. If you don't and you go after another spirit, you will take on those attributes. That's why you have certain uh, spirits in the world. And one, you, you can kind of tell, well, that person has this kind of a spirit because they have these kind of attributes on them. Well, here's one that is talked about as a mute spirit. And then he goes on in verse 15, but some of them said he cast out demons by Beelzebub, the ruler of the demons. Others tested him, sought from him a sign from heaven. But he, knowing their thoughts, said to them, every kingdom divided against itself is brought to desolation. And a house divided against its, against a house falls. If Satan also is divided against himself, how will his kingdom stand? Because you say, I cast out demons by Beelzebub. And if I cast out demons by Beelzebub, by whom do your sons cast them out? Therefore, they will be your judges. But if I cast out demons by the finger of God, surely the kingdom of God has come upon you. So understand what Jesus is teaching here. He is saying that if I cast out demons by the power of demons, then that kingdom is divided and it won't stand. Now, the same point is true that if, if God 
is united with the very kingdom he's fighting against, how will that kingdom stand? You can't do it. So God does not buddy up with the devil, ever. Because he is against them. We're not gonna, we're not gonna get in, in any kind of association. God is never gonna get an association with the devil to use him in any way. Because he's against them. So he's not there to try and perfect saints through Satan because to do so would be a kingdom divided. And Jesus himself said, <laughs> you're a divided kingdom, you're not going to stand and God's kingdom is going to stand. Now Satan's is not, but God's is. Where do we leave off at? Verse 20. Now Mark adds this to the account. In Mark chapter 3, just reading the part that he has. Assuredly, I say to you, all sin will be forgiven to sons of men and whatever blasphemes they may utter. Now, you can go back and take a look at this whole, the whole thing. You'll see this. But, he, uh, but it's the same story. But this part is added. But he who blasphemes against the Holy Spirit never has forgiveness, but is subject to eternal condemnation. So this idea of blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. And there's been a lot of different ideas of what blasphemy of the Holy Spirit is. And some people have actually taught, I don't know where they get this from, that if you take the, the name of the Lord in vain, that that's blasphemy against the Holy Spirit. Now, it's a good thing that's not it because there'd be a whole lot of Christians being trouble. I hear a whole lot of Christians who use the name of God in ways that uh, it's not intended. And that's not right. <laughs> but fortunately, that's not the unpardonable sin or it's not blaspheme of the Holy Spirit. That's not what that that is here. And so they have other things that we've attributed to, but take a look at... Of what's going on here because here we'll get an idea of what's what the blaspheme of the Holy Spirit is you see what they were saying was that Jesus cast out demons by the power of the devil and so this is when Jesus taught on blaspheme of the Holy Spirit now he's not going to teach on that if something didn't happen that would be occurring within that so the blaspheme of the Holy Spirit I wrote it down as this. Blasphemy of the Holy Spirit is attributing to God what the devil did and the work of the devil to God. That's blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. Not taking the Lord's name in vain. Not some of these other crazy things that people come up with. Blasphemy of the Holy Spirit is saying that something that God did was done by Satan. Which is exactly what these folks were accusing Jesus of. That's why Jesus taught what this was. In Mark chapter 3, that little add-on there. You can go back and read the entire account if you want to. But blasphemy, blasphemy of the Holy Spirit is attributing to God what the devil did and the work of the devil to God. That's why you got to be careful. Sometimes we're, we're out there, we're saying, well, this particular thing which was of the devil, God sent it to me. Don't be doing it. Don't be blaming God for things the devil did. And don't be attributing things to the devil that God did. What God does is good. What the devil does is evil. That's where it stands. Mark chapter 9, verse 14. And when he came to the disciples, he saw a great multitude around them and scribes disputing with them. And immediately when they saw him, all the people were greatly amazed and running to him, greeted him. And he asked the scribes, what are you discussing with them? Then one of the crowd answered and said, Teacher, I brought you my son who has a mute spirit. Again, we see this mute spirit. And whenever it seizes him, it throws him down. He foams at the mouth, gnashes his teeth, 
and becomes rigid. Now, this would see, seem to be that there's some epilepsy that was involved. Do not get the idea that every time that epilepsy is involved, it is a demon spirit. It very well may be a demon spirit involved, but you don't know that every time that it does it, that it is. But certainly in this particular case, it was. The disciples recognized it and they tried to cast out this demon. But it didn't go. They had cast out other demons before, but this one wasn't going. It says, So I spoke to your disciples that they should cast it out, but they could not. So even he knows that this is the demon spirit causing this thing. He answered him and said, O faithless generation, how long shall I be with you? How long shall I bear with you? Bring him to me. Then they brought him to him. And when he saw him, immediately the spirit convulsed him and he fell on the ground and wallowed foaming at the mouth. So he asked his father, how long has this been happening to him? And he said, from childhood. And often he has thrown him both into the fire and into the water to destroy him. But if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. Jesus said to him, If you can believe all things are possible to him who believes, immediately the father of the child cried out and said with tears, Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. When Jesus saw that the people came running together, he rebuked the unclean spirit, saying to it, Deaf and dumb spirit, I command you, come out of him and enter him no more. And the spirit cried out, convulsed him greatly and came out of him. And he became as one dead so that many said he is dead. But Jesus took him up by the hand and lifted him up and he arose. Now, if he truly was dead and Jesus raised him back from... I don't know. We're not told about that. But he had the appearance of being dead. I don't think that just means he was laying still. There had to be some kind of uh, indication that it seemed like life had gone out of him. But either they were wrong or uh, Jesus raised him up from the dead. But whatever the end result was, that he was in good shape. He said, deaf and dumb spirit, I command you come out of him. And he did. In Luke chapter 13, verse 10, Now he was teaching in one of the synagogues on the Sabbath, and behold, there was a woman who had a spirit of infirmity, 18 years, and was bent over, and could in no way raise herself up. Now this woman, it says that she had a spirit of infirmity. A spirit of infirmity. Now, infirmity there would be weakness. And whatever it might be. Now, if they had the, the, the tools that we had today, they probably would have taken this bent over woman and put her in an x-ray machine or put her in some other machines and done some checking out. And they would have said, well, there is this that is causing this, right? More than likely, they would have seen some kind of a cause. But here in the Word of God, we don't have the, the uh, x-ray machines to tell us anything. All we have is what Jesus uh, said or what the Holy Spirit gave them to write. And the thing that they wrote down was that she had a spirit of infirmity. So this bent over that she has is the result of a spirit. Even though probably if you took an extra, you could see a physical reason for it. Again, it's a spirit of infirmity. If you have that association with that spirit, you take on the attributes of that spirit. And this apparently was one of those attributes. Though when you do an x-ray, the spirit wouldn't show up. (laughs) You need some, you need something else to be able to see that. And the Word of God tells us what it is. But anyway, Jesus, uh, He knew about it. And behold, there was a woman who had a spirit of infirmity 18 years and was bent over and could in no way raise herself up. But when Jesus saw her, He called to her, He called her to Him and said to her, Women, you are loosed from your infirmity. And He laid His hands on her and immediately she was made straight and glorify God. 
Now, if she had a spirit of infirmity and he comes over and he looses her from the infirmity, what did he in essence do? He cast off the spirit off of her. So immediately she was made straight and glorified God. So we see immediate results on this, that when the spirit was gone, when the authority was used on that spirit, that immediately her body was restored because that association with that spirit was gone and she didn't have on that uh, the attributes of the spirit of infirmity. In Luke chapter 4, verse 31, then he went down to Capernaum, a, a city of Galilee, and was teaching them on the Sabbath. And they were astonished at his teaching for his word was with authority. Now in the synagogue, there was a man who had a spirit of un a spirit of an unclean demon. Where was this at? In the synagogue, there was a man. Where? In the synagogue. There was a man there who had an unclean spirit, unclean demon. And he cried out with a loud voice, saying, Let us alone. What have we to do with you, Jesus of Nazareth? Did you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. But Jesus rebuked him, saying, Be quiet and come out of him. And when the demon had thrown had thrown him in the midst, it came out of him and did not hurt him. Now in that's in basically in church. You got a man there who's got a demon spirit. And he's there all the time, apparently. Whenever they have church, here comes this demon spirit man. Now he must have been doing some things that caused the problem, <laughs> caused the ruckus in there. And it said he had an unclean spirit. Now, we don't know what all, all that was. Uh, sometimes when we have an unclean spirit, it, it, it results in uh, sexual things. And that may have been going on here, or it may just have been something that was ungodly. But he was in the synagogue. And he had this unclean spirit. And then Jesus came in. And then, I don't know what he's thinking. If, you know, if Jesus comes in, I know he's got authority over me. I know he knows how to use that authority over me. I'm trying to hide out in the background or maybe I don't go to church that day if I was him. <laughs> but that's not what he did. He came on out there. I guess he was thinking he could take Jesus on. Isn't that something? You see, so, the, the enemy wants to portray a wrong picture of itself and its kingdom. If you look at the Hollywood today and the movies that Hollywood puts out, in the area of the occult, in the area of demon spirits, uh, the idea is that demon, these demon spirits scare you and are scary. Now, ever since I was little, I was never drawn to these movies. There's just something in me that just was disturbed by them. And I was never drawn to them. I never saw all these things. They would talk about the names of different movies. And um, I had never seen them. I mean, different ones about some house and the head. I forget the name of the, the house that it was. I had never gone to see that. Uh, there was some movie I know that they talked about where some girl's head turned around. And um, I never went out and saw that one either. And I know there's other ones about uh, different people who got pregnant by the devil. And they make movies about all these, these things. I never went out and saw that either. I had no desire to see them. I still have no desire to see them. I can't stand the commercials for some of these movies that come on. That's why we do a lot of our TV watching on DVR because we fast forward past all those, all those commercials. I don't even, I don't even want to see what's coming up in the movie theater and, uh, and to, to see that sort of stuff. There's just no, no reason for it. You see, because in the movie theater, Hollywood wants to portray, because again, who's behind it? And he wants to portray a scary image. 
that uh, a, a powerful image that you have to be afraid of, of these things. And uh, you just don't need to be, be having that. Now, one thing I did give into when I was a, when I was a kid was uh, haunted houses. I, I went into some haunted houses and because uh, and, uh, I, I wanted them to try and scare me. And I just I, I couldn't scare them. Once I found out what all was behind these demon spirits, I couldn't even go into a haunted house and enjoy it. And just enjoy being scared. It's like, oh, I just laugh at this stuff. This is just, just, just stupid. And so I didn't even bother going to them. And it shouldn't have been any way, any way in the first place, but I, <laughs> I, did, I did go after that. But, um, but there's no reason to be afraid of these things. That, but that's what the enemy wants. The enemy wants you in fear. We saw that with Job. If he can get you in fear, we can get some things over on you. He wants to get you afraid. I've, I've heard people tell stories when they had the ability to see into the spirit realm, because that's one of the nine gifts of the spirit, is the discerning the spirit. There is no gift of discernment. I know you all know that, just in case anybody else is listening and doesn't know it. There is no gift of discernment. There is a gift of discerning of spirits. That's the ability to see into the spirit realm. And different ones in the word of God have walked in it. Not going to spend all of our time going into, into that. But when you have the ability to see into the spirit realm, and, and certain ones who had done that and had written about it, and I've heard uh, different accounts. Every single one of them describes them as small, monkeyish looking type things who whimper when you use the name of Jesus against them. Now, see, the enemy doesn't want to portray that in Hollywood because that's not the image he wants you to have. He wants you to have this thing that these are monstrous creatures, that they are scary, they are formidable. But the Word of God doesn't back that up. He said, Jesus Christ is far more powerful. And you, there's no reason to be afraid. Smith Wigglesworth, I think he was the uh, one who, who heard the noise downstairs in the living room. And uh, so he got his little lamp. They didn't have flashlights. He got his little lamp. And he went on down. And he uh, held that lamp out there. And he said uh, he saw the devil sitting in his rocking chair. And he goes, oh, it's only you. And blows out the lamp and goes back upstairs. <laughs> I think it was Jerry Savelle that told the time when he was uh, messing in the, the enemy's kingdom and casting out demon spirits, that one of them had, had uh, come and paid him a visit. I guess they were upset. And they came in and they, they messed up the room and actually lifted the bed that he was in. Up off. Anybody ever hear this story? I think it was Jerry Savelle. If it was, I'm, I'm like 95% sure it was Jerry Savelle. Lifted the entire bed up and shook it. Well, he wouldn't get in fear because he knows knows what they are. See, the enemy's trying to get him into fear because you get into fear, then he'll, he'll not operate in that authority and he'll stop messing with all the people that he's out there trying to trying to, to deal with. And so uh, he uh, casted him out, out of the room, took authority over him, cast him out of the room. The bed dropped back down and the thing was gone. And then he, he, uh, he got smart. He said, oh, no, you don't. Get on back here and put this room back in that order that it was. <laughs> And sure enough, <laughs> they came back on in and uh, and put everything back where it was and then left. <laughs> I mean, I don't know that I would think of that <laughs> if, that was, if that was me, that I would do that. If you want to hear some stories of some uh, battles with, with that, Lester Sumrall was one, and he wrote some of his, his stories, and he was in other countries where they really have some demon problems out there. He wrote about a story about a boy who would turn invisible when this demon spirit came upon him. 
and, and other things would happen. I mean, these, these were cases that were known all through the country. And he got in there and used the power of God. And these things changed. And uh, uh, this wasn't happening anymore. And so it made all the newspapers. It made all the, the news reports, whatever the news outlets they had. But don't be afraid. Don't be thinking that there's something great. The, uh, that's not the, the enemy that you're against. The God that you have is far more greater. The Word of God says that He gave you authority and power. Authority and power. And you exercise that over all the power of the enemy. All the power of the... That means all the strength and ability that the enemy has, you use what you've got against him. And yours is more powerful. So you should never be afraid. And don't be. Where do we leave off at? And Jesus rebuked him, saying, Be quiet and come out of him. And when the demon had thrown him in the midst, he came out of him and did not hurt him. Then they were all amazed and spoke among themselves, saying, What a word this is. Look at this. For with authority and power, he commands the unclean spirits, and they come out. And the report about him went into every place in the surrounding region. In Mark chapter 5, we're not going to go there. I gave you the reference for it if you want to look it up, review it again. In Mark chapter 5, we have the, the uh, legion, the man who had a legion of demons. And he would be out there and they would, they would hear him howling in the tombs, in the, in the cemetery. And it said he would cut himself. Why would, the, why would a person cut themselves? Because whatever spirits were on them were telling them, cut yourself, cut yourself, cut yourself. And they would, they would cut themselves. And, you know, you hear even, even now people who jump off buildings but survived or jump off bridges and survived. And why did you do it? Well, the voices were telling me to. See, this, they mean for destruction. Don't be, uh, don't be listening to them. But this person took on the attributes of these spirits. Some of them were extremely strong spirits and said they couldn't bind him up. So they gave up trying to bind him up and just let him go run wild. And Jesus was put on assignment. Got in a boat went over to the other side, went through the storm. Because the enemy says, no, you're not going to take my, my man out. But Jesus said, yes, I am. <laughs> and he calmed the storm down through authority and then gets over to the other side. All he does is deal with this one, gets back in the boat and goes back again. So he was on assignment. God gave him an assignment to take care of this because this one needed to be freed. And he wanted to follow Jesus. And Jesus said, no, go on back to your home. Tell him what God has done for you. So that's the, that's the power of the enemy. If the enemy sends it, all we have examples of in the Word of God is that we are to send it away and get rid of it. The enemy should not be part of the suffering that you're doing for God. Not the good kind of suffering. Now understand the enemy is going to send persecutions along and that's different. But we'll get into that later on. But as far as this is, is concerned, not all sickness and disease has as its roots demonic spirits. But some of it does. So don't take from this that all sickness and disease is from a demon spirit. Because it's not all from a demon spirit. But some of it is. I wish I could remember the story I was thinking about when I, uh, after I got over here. But there was a, a story of, of, a, of a married couple. And that, uh, this spirit of infirmity came upon them. And uh, their, their hands became deformed. First it started, I believe, with the husband. And his hands became completely deformed, totally useless. And then the same thing happened to her. 
and and her hands exactly the same way. And they were in a meeting, and someone got the uh, uh, discerning of spirits on it and cast the demon spirit off of them. And when they did, immediately their hands were restored. I can't remember whose meeting that was that that happened in. Um, if I thought of it earlier, I would have done some more research to figure out who that was. But the, probably not too hard to figure figure that out. I've only heard it happen in one time. It may have happened other times. I've only heard it happen at one time. But let's take a look at Here's the second one we're going to look at. The, the first thing is those things that come from the enemy. You've got to make sure you resist. If the enemy sends it, you don't want it. Send it back. Just because it's sent to you doesn't mean you have to take it. You want to get rid of that thing. Here's the other place. place. This is the, from the curse of sin. That when sin came into the world, there was a curse that was upon this world. And part of that curse is sickness and disease. Because when Jesus uh, created the world and put Adam here, there wasn't sickness and disease. In fact, the animals didn't even eat each other. Now, of course, they do. But that didn't happen then. In Luke chapter 4, verse 38, Now he arose from the synagogue and entered Simon's house, but Simon's wife's mother, in other words, his mother-in-law, was sick with a high fever, and they made request of him concerning her. So this was not just a, a normal high fever. This was something really bad. She may have even been a little bit delirious, that kind of a, a fever. And it looked like maybe that she was going to die. And Of course, we know people have died from fevers. It used to be a lot more common than it is now. I guess we have other other uh, medications and things we can do to, to help that out. So he stood over her and rebuked the fever, not a spirit. Now, you see, the Word of God tells us when he rebukes the spirit, it says he rebuked the spirit. If he had a spirit of infirmity, he rebuked the spirit of infirmity. Spirit of muteness, he rebuked the spirit of mute. Whatever it was, if there was a spirit behind it, we heard that the spirit was there and that the spirit was cast out. But here he speaks to the fever. So apparently there's no spirit involved in this one. There's no spirit of high fever or anything like that. I mean, there might be, but apparently that's not what's going on here. And he stood over here and rebuked the fever and it left her. So he's not speaking to the woman. He's speaking to the fever. So when you have certain sicknesses and diseases, stop praying and wasting time praying to God. Follow Jesus' example. Speak to the fever. Speak to the sickness and disease. Because that's how Jesus did it. There's not a single time in all the ministry of Jesus that he ever prayed God to heal somebody. He spoke to the sickness. He spoke to the spirit behind it. He spoke to things. He did not pray in that way. Yet most of the time, well, I'm... I'm praying that God, that God would heal me. That's not what they did in the Bible. And it's not just in the Gospels. Go to the book of Acts. Look at the Paul's writings in the epistles. And you'll see the same thing. But here he stood over her, rebuked the fever, and it left her. And immediately she arose and served them. Now see, sometimes we get this idea that somebody was really sick and, and down and they got healed. Oh, you just rest. You just rest. But apparently Jesus wasn't of that school of thought. He said, no, go ahead and get up and make us some, some food. Now, if you, if you watch the news, I heard uh, uh, there's a whole lot of stuff that was made up of uh, Trump feeding all the, the people from the football team uh, hamburgers from Burger King and McDonald's and stuff like that. And, and uh, 
but apparently the big thing was that he made mention of the fact that well, we couldn't have uh, the first lady make salad. So they're all mad at him because uh, they're attributing women's work to, uh, to making salad. Well, I don't know. Maybe you never had a salad that, that President Trump made. Maybe, <laughs> maybe if you did, you'd say, I don't want you to make it. And maybe that's what he's thinking of. You know, there are certain things that I can make and do okay with, and there are some things that I do a lousy job with. And if I realize that, you know, I may say, well, you want my wife to make that. And it's not because it's trying to be sexist or anything like that. I just know she does a better job. <laughs> that's just that's just how it is. Uh, that may have been the case with that, but, you know, they all got they'll just find all kinds of things to get up in arms about. But uh, they would have been up in arms about this. What is that, women's work? She has to go in there and, and make the food. Apparently, he was okay with it. So just when you get healed, don't go acting like a sick person. That didn't, didn't happen here. When the sun was setting, so after that was done, when the sun was setting, all those who had any that were sick with various diseases brought them into him, or brought them to him. And he laid his hands on every one of them and healed them. Every one of them. So apparently word got around, hey, he just told the fever to go and it left. And they, once they got the word of that, they all came running. Now it says when the sun was going down. That means they just heard about it and they made a beeline. Because <laughs> we're tired of being sick. and Because usually you'd wait for the morning. And he laid hands on all of them. If he's doing that when the sun's going down, he's, he's probably doing that after the sun has gone down. He's probably well into the night. And they don't have flashlights and street lights and all that sort of stuff to get home. But they didn't care. <laughs> now look at this in verse 41. And demons also came out of many. Now many is not all. Some of, many of the ones who were, who had various diseases, apparently there was demons behind them. And demons also came out of many crying out and saying, you are the Christ, the Son of God. And he rebuked them and did not allow them to speak for they knew that he was the Christ. Now there's also another possibility. They were sick and had a demon. That's, that's a possibility. But it doesn't say that they were bringing demon possessed people. It says they were bringing sick people. Well, the thing that started it was the fever. So you're bringing sick people because that's what, well, he just took care of sick people or a sick person. Let's bring the sick people over here. Now, here's the same event, but a different account in Matthew chapter 8, verse 16. When evening had come, they brought to him many who were demon possessed. There we got the demon possessed part. And he cast out the spirits with the word and healed all who were sick that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by Isaiah the prophet, saying, He himself took our infirmities and bore our sicknesses. So when evening had come, they brought to him many who were demon-possessed, and he cast out the spirits with the word, and healed all who were sick. Now, still yet, we have another account. In Mark chapter 1, verse 32, I saw some of the... I don't know how I came upon this, but I found some notes on this, and I said, you folks are just... you're just looking for trouble. They're just looking for trouble. There's some accounts, uh, uh, some people who comment on this particular verse of Scripture, and they're just looking for trouble. In Mark chapter 1, verse 32, At evening, when the sun had set, they brought to him all who were sick and those who were demon-possessed. It's the same story. But now, all who were sick and those who were demon-possessed. So in one account, 
we're emphasizing those that were sick. In the second account, we're emphasizing those who were demon-possessed. In the third account, we're emphasizing sick and demon-possessed. And the whole city was gathered together at the door. What time is this? Evening, when the sun was setting. The entire town comes out and is at the door. (laughs) The whole city. He's got to lay hands on the whole city, it seems. That's going to take a little while. Now, here's where they, here's where these nuts go, go off on this thing. Then he healed many who were sick with various diseases and cast out many demons, and he did not allow the demons to speak because they knew him. <coughs> well, people read that and they say, well, obviously, Jesus doesn't always heal everyone because it says many. It didn't say all. So I thought about this for a little bit. I said, well, this isn't too hard to figure out. In the first account, we had, it's, it tells all the sick people that were brought in and he healed all of them. And then the second account talks about the demon-possessed people and they and demons came out of all them. And then the third account here is that we have demon-possessed people and we have sick people. Now, the first two accounts talk about all. But here it says many. So I was thinking about that for a little bit. It's pretty simple to figure this out. If 10 people came to you and you healed all of them, you would heal how many? 10. By the, by the descriptions that the Word of God uses, would that be many? No. Never is 10 many. <laughs> never is 10 many. A great multitude is 5,000 and up. Many is not ten. So what this author, this, this person here is trying to tell us is that the all was also many. So if you just think that a handful of people came on out here because it was nighttime, that's not the case. There was a bunch of them. And according to the first account, they all were healed. And according to this account, that all is many. So I don't know why they have a problem with or trying to just just uh, picks things out of out of here, but that's uh, that. Just because you use the word many doesn't mean you don't mean all. All the people who came who were sick were healed. We learned that from the first account, and here we find out that it's also many. In Luke chapter nine, verse ten, and the apostles, when they had returned, told him all that they had done. <clears throat> then he took them and went aside privately into a deserted place belonging to the city called Bethsaida. But when the multitudes knew it, they followed him and received them, and he received them and spoke to them about the kingdom of God and healed those who had need of healing. Now, we do not see the word all in there, do we? We do not see the word many in there. What we do see is that those people who needed healing were healed. So if you didn't need healing, apparently you weren't healed. But if you had need of healing, you were healed. Now, that's just another way of saying all. (laughs) All the people who needed healing were healed. In Mark chapter 5, verse 25, 34, we see the the woman with the issue of blood. And you know the story well. I just want to bring you to the, the final verse on this. And he said to her, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your affliction. Now, there's no demon spirit apparently involved in this woman with the issue of blood. There was nothing that got cast out. 
She just got healed by the power of God. If I may just touch the hem of his garment, I know I shall be made whole. And so she touched the hem of his garment. Power went out for him and healed her. And he said to her, that was your faith that did it. Your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed. How many people came to Jesus that time to be healed? One. How many got healed? All of them. But that wouldn't be many, would it? That would be one. In Matthew chapter 12, now we don't see any of those words, all, many, or any, any such thing. It's just, here she is, here's her story, she got healed. In Matthew 12, verse 14, Then the Pharisees went out and plotted against him how they might destroy him. But when Jesus knew it, he withdrew from there, and great multitudes followed him, and he healed them all. Yet he warned them not to make him known. So great multitudes followed him. Now, when we see that word great multitude, we saw that word talked about with the the feeding of the 5,000. That it's a great multitude. Well, that's 5,000 men. Count their 5,000 wives. Count their kids. You're looking at a crowd of over 10, 15,000 people. That's a great multitude. Can you imagine Jesus laying hands on the sick in a crowd of 10, 15,000? One person going out there and laying hands. Now, it may be that he used some of the people that he's already commissioned. And he might have his disciples and maybe some of the 70 out there. And so maybe some of all them are out there doing it. We don't know. But it says here, and great multitudes followed him and he healed them all. Well, if Jesus gave authority to his disciples and his disciples went out and laid hands on them, is that not still Jesus healing them? Did not the disciples and the 70 come back and say, even the demons are subject to us in your name? So they're not doing it of their own their own self, they're doing it because of, of Him. But again, no sickness or disease was able to stand. Matthew 15, verse 30. Then great multitudes came to Him, having with them the lame, blind, mute, maimed, and many others, and they laid them down at Jesus' feet, and He healed them. Again, the term, great multitudes came to Him. Look at what's in there. The lame, the blind, the mute, the maimed, and many others. And they laid them down at Jesus' feet, and He healed them. So the multitude marveled, when they saw the mute speaking, the maimed made whole, the lame walking, and the blind seeing, and they glorified the God of Israel. Now we saw from the other example that the mute was a result of the demon spirit. But that's not the only reason that you can become mute. There may be something that had affected the vocal cords. There may have been something that, uh, an injury that had occurred. Whatever it might be, they, they couldn't talk. And Jesus healed them. So it didn't matter if it was the result of a demon spirit. It didn't matter if it was a result of something that they were born with. And it didn't matter if it was something that they picked up along the way. They were healed. And He healed them all. In Matthew 21, verse 14, Then the blind and lame came to Him in the temple, and He healed them. Mark chapter 6, 56, Whenever He entered into the villages, cities, or in the country, they laid the sick in the marketplaces and begged Him that they might just touch the hem of His garment. And as many as touched Him were made well. Now, we don't see the word many. We don't see the word all. What do we? What we do understand is as many as touched Him. So there may be some people who didn't believe that if I touched the hem of His garment, I would be healed. And so they didn't do it. I don't know if that happened, but you would think that once they start seeing people getting healed, they say, well, I'm just going to get in on this. <laughs> I don't know that anybody didn't get in on it who wanted to or um, who, who had a, a sickness or disease. It doesn't 
And he came down with them and stood on a level place with a, with a crowd of his disciples and a great multitude of people from all Judea and Jerusalem and from the sea coast of Tyre and Sidon who came to hear him and be healed of their diseases. They came for that purpose. As well as those who were tormented with unclean spirits and they were healed. And the whole multitude sought to touch him for power went out from him and healed them all. So as many as had demon spirits who came for the purpose of being released and as many had sickness and disease who came for the purpose of being healed were. Every one of them. He didn't find a single occasion. I said, no, wait a minute. God has a purpose for you with that sickness and disease. I can't heal you. Well, see, that would be a kingdom divided against itself because then, then God is using something that is not of His kingdom to accomplish His purpose. But He didn't do that. Matthew 4, verse 23. And Jesus went about all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the gospel of the kingdom, and healing all kinds of sickness and all kinds of disease among the people. There are all kinds of it. Then his fame went throughout all Syria, and they brought to him all sick people who were afflicted with various diseases and torments, and those who were demon-possessed, epileptics, paralytics, and he healed them. Is there anything in that passage that would indicate that every single person who came to get healed was healed? Nothing that would tell us anything different. Great multitudes followed him from Galilee and from Decapolis, Jerusalem, Judea, and beyond the Jordan. So here's two areas where suffering can come from. One is from Satan, which we saw in the book of Job and spent some time on last week uh, about that. And apparently, God is not going to use Satan's and the suffering that he did to accomplish any purpose in us. He's, he's not a kingdom divided. The other area that we see people suffer in is the area of sick, sickness and disease. And besides seeing all the people healed, we also saw there were so many different types of various diseases. And whether they were paralytic, whether they were mute, whether they were blind, whether whatever sickness they had, it didn't matter. If they came to get healed, they got healed. But so many anymore today, they want to tell us well, God has a purpose for this sickness and disease. And yet nowhere in the Word of God do we ever find that He has a purpose for a sickness and disease. Never do we find anything but Jesus healing those that were sick. And one time we saw that Jesus could not do any great work in their midst. It was because of their unbelief. Not because of an inability or unwillingness on God's part. Sickness and disease is not here for the purpose of you learning a lesson. Or becoming better or made better in any way. That's just not going to do it. Now there's two areas, and there's a quote here I want to, I want to get to you, uh, that'll, that help you out with some of this. Uh, uh I love this quote. I've been waiting for a while to be able, to be able to use it. But here's two more areas we need to get into. And it wasn't even going to try and take them on here tonight. But second, uh, a third area that we see suffering come from, it's from our flesh or sin. And then I also put in there, that includes our own stupidity. Sometimes I suffer because I was stupid. 
And that, that God doesn't have a, a hand in that. Here's another one. Sometimes we suffer at the hands of people. Sometimes people come in and, and we suffer. Now, what sufferings are godly? We want to cover in that. What kind of suffering can I go through and it is God? We're going to get into that. Second Timothy 1 and verse 18. Or I'm sorry, 1 and verse 8. Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner, but share with me in the sufferings for the gospel according to the power of God. Well, that's a good kind of suffering right there. Suffering for the gospel. Hebrews 2 and verse 10. For it was fitting for him for whom are all things and by whom are all things in bringing many sons to glory to make the captain of their salvation perfect through sufferings. Well, that would seem like those sufferings have a purpose. Hebrews 10 and verse 32. But recall the former days in which after you were illuminated, you endured a great struggle with sufferings. So there's just a little little tidbit of some, some things from the Word of God in the area of sufferings that they're not necessarily... Sufferings are not all bad. But if you are suffering at the hands of sickness and disease, that is not something that has a purpose for God. If you are suffering at the hands of the enemy, that is not something that has a purpose for God. God, just as Jesus went into the wilderness and after he was done, the devil came and the devil lost. He tried to, to pull him into temptation and it didn't work. Jesus resisted it. He stayed away from it. We need to do the same thing. All right, I got a quote here and I love this quote. Been wanting to use this for a little while. Brother, uh, Brother Keith Moore said this. When tradition replaces truth, when tradition replaces truth, because sometimes with, with some people, well, that's what I've always believed. Well, that's what I've always known. Doesn't matter if it's right. But when tradition replaces truth, here's the result. Rituals replace results. And experience is replaced by explanations. When tradition replaces truth, rituals replace results, and experience is replaced by explanations. You see, people are explaining, this is why this happens in your life, instead of having the experience of God doing a miracle. Instead of having a, the experience of going through a healing meeting and seeing Jesus heal all who were sick and possessed, or demon-possessed, instead of having that experience, we have an explanation of why these things go on. Instead of having some results from our faith, instead we have rituals because we replaced the truth with traditions. No matter how long you have believed something, no matter how much something has been a tradition in your life, if it is not the truth, you need to get it out because we cannot replace truth with traditions if we want to see results and if we want to have the time to experience the power of God. Love that quote. Been looking for a place to use it. This seemed like a good opportunity right here. So two down. Two more to go. And then we want to take a look at, at uh, what comes from God. Because if it comes from God, don't resist it. But if it doesn't come from God, then resist it. How many times have you heard people, well, I don't know what God's trying to teach me with this. Well, then how, how do you know it's from God? If you don't know what God's trying to teach you, how, how, how are you going to learn? If you were in school and the teacher was teaching you algebra, well, I don't know what she's trying to do in there. I don't understand it one bit. It's not helping you. The only way they can help you is if you understand the thing that's going on. 
You got to understand what God is doing. And if God has a purpose in suffering, you will also have the knowledge of what that suffering is to do and how it is to be accomplished and what it is, what is going about. Jesus knew what his sufferings were going to accomplish. He knew it. Paul knew what his sufferings were accomplishing. Peter knew what his sufferings were accomplishing. These people were not un- unknown. They knew what the sufferings were accomplishing and they gladly went through them. So we'll, we'll spend some time. Should get it all, all done here next week. Father, we thank you for your word that you have not called us to suffer at the hands of the enemy. You have not called us to suffer at the hands of sickness and disease. But Father, you have given us the authority and the power of Jesus Christ for the purpose of pushing these things away. And just as Jesus resisted the enemy, we are to resist the enemy. And just as Jesus, every place he went, cast out demons and healed people of so many different various diseases. And as he would face great multitudes and never one time would come up against a person that says, oh, it's God's will for you to have that. He, re- he healed them all. So many times we're told that in the Word of God. He healed them all. But yet it seems today we have so many explanations as to why God is not healing us today. And just because something has not happened yet does not mean it is not your will. For if the devil has not fled from us, either we have missed it on the submission side or if we have missed it on the resisting side. But I thank you that just as your word says that you would give us wisdom, all we need to do is ask. So Father, for any of these situations that are going on in which we are in, engaged in suffering that does not seem to be in line with your word, that Father, you give us wisdom on what it is that we are to do. I thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Any comments, questions? Anything to add? Anything I missed? (laughs) Thank you, sir. Just because someone is suffering with a sickness does not mean that God is not with them. I tell you what, we didn't spend time on that, but how many people in the Word of God that we saw, uh, and, and God was with them. I mean, Peter's mother-in-law. There's nothing evil about her. In fact, Jesus even was very, very comfortable just staying right there in the house after, after all that. If she was evil, I don't think he would have stayed. You can see that with, with others, others as well. The woman with the issue of blood. I mean, how much it seems that she loved God. The, the centurion. How many things that he had done to show his love for God. People were bragging. This man loves the Lord. He loves this country. He's, he's helped with the temple. And yet still, tragedy had come into his life. Just, beca- just because of the tragedy, just because of suffering, just because something has come in does not mean that we are off in, the, in, in some place against God or fighting against God. It has nothing to do with that at all. But God doesn't necessarily want us to go through all the things that we are going through. Even his own disciples went through things that Jesus didn't want them to go through. He even told them one time, stay here and pray. because <laughs> You need to get ready for what's coming up. They didn't pray and they weren't ready for what came up. Connie has a question that says, do you think people suffer more because of a lack of understanding or faith or because it's easier than to fight? 
Oh, that's going too. Yeah, some people just get tired of fighting. Some people certainly do get tired of, of fighting. And just, uh, it's easier for me to accept it, to ex- accept an explanation for why I'm going through this than it is to continue and go on fighting. And so we have a lot of people who accept an explanation. Well, God just has some kind of purpose. God has some kind of reason because I've given up the fight. And there are people in the Word of God who fought for a long time to to get things going. Uh, Best example, of course, was Abraham. 25 years waiting for that son to be born. That was Now, we understand he was not in a position. He was not in a place where he was... He was believing right. But you had to keep keep going. There were times he gave up. There were times we could see from the from the word of God he gave up. No, no, no. Let Ishmael live before you. He gave up. But uh oh, yeah, don't don't give up. I may not understand everything that's going on yet. But I will. And I'm not giving up the fight. But if we give up the fight, the devil's got us beat. Because you cannot win a, a fight that you don't fight. As a somebody use a basketball analogy, you miss one hundred percent of the shots you don't take. So we, we got to stay in the fight. Yeah, that was that was a good question. 